Okay, so apologies for the audio quality. I don't have my little Lavalier mic to hand and this is all a little bit last minute, so bear with me. Yesterday, I touched on the subject of neural pathways and I want to expand on that a little bit now. So the analogy that I'm going to use is with a GPS tracker. So we've all seen it in the movies, even if like if, if you go running or cycling regularly and you track your runs, you know, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about straight off the bat. But for those of you that don't, You've more than likely seen some scene in a movie at some stage whereby a tracker is put on a car and somebody is able to look at a map and see the little flashing fucking red dot or whatever it is moving around the map and they're tracking you. Now, imagine that little dot is leaving like a snail trail behind it or the line that a pencil would leave when you draw it along a page. That's what I want to get across. So now imagine that you've had one of these trackers implanted into your head somewhere and you're being tracked for a year. So no matter where you've gone, you've essentially drawn a little line on a map that somebody is looking at. Now, as you can imagine, where your house is, the lines are going to be all over the place because you'll have gone from your kitchen to your bedroom a million times over the course of the year. And you'll have gone from your house to where you work a thousand times or whatever it is. You'll also have gone to your parents' house, your best friend's house, your childminder's house, the local shop, your local supermarket, you know, the swimming pool if you're into swimming, the local lake if you're into fishing, whatever it is, you'll have loads and loads and loads of tracks going to the places where you go regularly. And then... Every so often you'll have one track off on its own where maybe you got lost on your way somewhere or maybe you went on a bit of a holiday or maybe you had to go and pick up something in Cork for whatever fucking reason or that day that you had to go see a specialist in May or whatever the fuck it is. And there'll only be one going that direction. There's an analogy here between your movements and your thoughts. So imagine a similar type of map, but that instead of tracking your thoughts, it tracked your movements. And let's say if you have nothing but negative movements, or sorry, nothing but negative thoughts. Actually, no, let's say thoughts are represented as, negative thoughts are represented on this map as being black. And, you know, happy thoughts are in red. At the course of the end of the, over the course of the day, if you tracked all this, at the end of the day or the end of the week or the end of the year, you'd be able to look at a map of the thoughts that you had. It'd just be different colours. It'd be low resolution. There wouldn't be a massive amount that you could take from it. But at a glance, you would know whether that map was predominantly red or predominantly black, depending on happy or sad, how happy or sad you were throughout the year. And I'm going to try and add in a couple more different analogies because they're all essentially going to be explaining the same thing, but some will click with some more than others and some will need two to be put together. And I suppose the most important thing is there's no one real analogy that's going to suit this because neural net networks and neural pathways are essentially infinitely complicated. 
there's a, there's a, an infinite amount of ways that you can look at them because we haven't narrowed down the best way of looking at them because we so poorly understand it. That's my understanding out of it, at least. And again, if you know more about this or anything else that I'm talking about and you fucking think I could benefit from a conversation with you or maybe you just want to question or query or anything of the sort, you'll get me on 89 888 The other analogy that I'm going to give now is if you've got a snowy hill and you and your mates or your family are all jumping into fertilizer bags or sacks and you're making your, your way down the hill. If you spend the day doing that, let's say there's 50 of you and you're all lined up in a big long hill and you're all making your way down and up, down and up, down and up constantly throughout the day. What you'll find is certain grooves will become dominant and there'll be, you might put 50 tracks down the hill but three of them will be the best ones. And by the best ones, I mean, you'll slip down them fastest in your sack or your black bag or whatever it is that you're not skiing with, but not sledding with, but you get the fucking picture. And the better tracks become, the more people use them. The more people that use them, the the slippier and the better they become. So although there's an infinite amount of routes that you could take to go down the hill, you'll start with a random 20, 30 or 40 of them. And then most people will have a preference for three or four of them. There'll be dominant pathways. And what makes them dominant is because is through use. The more things get used, the better they become. And I suppose the main thing to remember between the two analogies, one of the map that's tracking you and one of you sliding down the snowy hill, the thing to remember is there's going to be dominant pathways. There's got our prominent pathways. At a glance, you're going to be able to see, oh, there's three main pathways. Or on the map, you're going to be able to see, oh, there's one, two, three, four locations where he is 90% of the time. The next analogy that I'm going to throw in here is slightly different, but bear with me. And it's in relation to muscle development. So we have a dominant arm for the most part. Most of us are are right or left-handed. Some of us are ambidextrous, but even, I believe, ambidextrous people, they still have a dominant side. They still have a hand that's stronger. Most people kick with their right foot. And in a weird way, actually, that means that your left leg is actually stronger than your right leg. You might think, you'd be forgiven for thinking that you kick with your stronger leg, but you don't. You kick with your weaker leg. And if that doesn't make sense to you, think about it this way. When you run up to a football and wallop it as a kick as hard as you can, which leg is taking all of your weight as you're swinging your kicking leg? It's the opposite one. So if you kick with your right foot, you're holding all the weight of your body on your left foot as you kick the ball with your right foot. We got seven and a half minutes in. You all right, baby? Yeah. Good girl. No, apologies. Um, so yeah, so if, you're, if you kick with your right foot, it means that you load up all your weight onto your left foot when you're kicking with your right foot. And the same is obviously true if you're left-footed. You load up all your weight onto the right foot and swing through with your left foot. So if you're right-footed or left-footed, it's the opposite leg that's actually your stronger leg. So most people, when I ask them, what leg do you kick with? They'd say the right leg. 
And if I ask them what leg do they jump with, they say the right leg, but they fucking don't. And most people that don't know, this isn't true in all cases, okay? I don't think it even needs a broad sweeping generalization alert, but for the overwhelming majority of people who are right-footed, they will jump off their left leg. So if they want to jump up onto a chair or something, or hop over a wall or whatever it is, it's their quote-unquote weaker leg that they jump off. It's not the one that they kick the football with. And it's the same in fighting. So when you kick somebody in, in a fight uh, situation, it's the exact same principle as kicking a football. All your weight is loaded up onto your left leg. Now, in martial arts, it's a lot, there's a lot more weight and a lot more control on your standing leg. The reason being, when you kick a ball, you're just launching the ball. As long as you don't fall over, it's fine. But in martial arts, when you kick somebody, you want to be damn sure that if they check it, you've got the balance to correct yourself. If they pull back and you, it's a swing and a miss that you can spin around and correct yourself. Or if you're trying to guide the kick to either the floating rib or the neck or the temple, that you have control over your standing leg. Now, the reason I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning that is because you have a dominant side that you kick with, the neurons fire in a particular direction inside your head in order to make that happen. And if you endlessly keep kicking with your dominant foot, say your right foot, if you keep standing on your left leg and kicking with your right leg, then there's a almost like a burst of neural activity every time that that happens. And in the same way that the tracks in the snow deepen in the same way that I think in the previous episode I said if a car was leaving like a little bit of rubber off his tires and they compound over time and the same way that when you're being tracked there's going to be more lines following your movements in the places that you usually go and it's the same with your brain so when the neurons fire they fire in a pattern depending on what action is being taken. And if you're just kicking balls with your right foot all day fucking long and putting all your weight on your left leg all day long, you compound those patterns. And that's why it's very important to teach kids to kick with both their feet. Because if they don't, they just get dominant on one side to the point whereby it's practically impossible to kick the ball any other way than the way you're used to kicking it. Which is fine if you're just kicking the ball in the back garden with your kids, but not so much if you're playing a competitive sport. Because if a defender, for example, knows that you've got a really weak left foot, he'll, he'll put that into how he plays, how he marks you, basically. And he'll know that you're not going to fucking bury a strike from outside the box if you're on your left side, or not even your left side, but your weak side. And this obviously doesn't just pertain to kicking a ball. It's anything that you do with any kind of regularity. And that's what practice is. Practice is just going over and over and over the motions of what it is that you're striving to do because you're embedding those neural pathways in your head and the more that you embed them the more the more likelihood that you're going to use the correct one when you do it so you should you never you never practice anything poorly you would never intentionally put a ball on the penalty spot and blast it a mile wide because you'd be increasing your likelihood of doing that in the moment and the reason that you're increasing the likelihood of doing that in the moment is because you're carving out grooves in your head now 
you're not really carving out grooves in your head. None of what I'm saying is, you know, in any way, shape or form, factual or even accurate. That's the role of analogies. It's just to get the gist of it across. It's just to get the sentiment across. And all of this just, just doesn't pertain to actions. It's not all about kicking balls or, or anything like that. It can be to do with your mood as well. So when you're in shitty form, there's certain neurons firing in your head that's producing that shitty form. And if you're endlessly in bad form, those neurons that are firing to put you in that form, they're endlessly firing. And they're, again, they're defining tracks in your head, which are hard to get out of. So that's why doing something different is difficult. No matter what it is, or changing, trying to break, breaking a habit is difficult. And the reason for that is, again, to use the, the snowy slope analogy. If thousands of people have gone through this matrix of, of sliding down the hill, the odds or the likelihood of a random person just walking up randomly and sliding down their own track is non-existent, practically. They're going to fit the grooves of somebody else. Another analogy that actually is springing to mind is if you have a, a thick forest that's full of brambles and bushes and shrubs and all sorts, it's practically impenetrable. And you line up a thousand people and you say to the first guy, okay, lad, make your way from this side to the far side in as long as it takes you. Let's say it takes him fucking two hours. It'll take the next guy an hour because odds are he'll follow in the half-beaten path that your man took. And by the time a thousand people go through, some people might have paved their own way. Some people might say, oh, I don't know. I don't like the look of that. I think it might be easier this way. But what's going to happen is once the thousand people go through it and then you get the thousand and one person and say, right, lad, off you go, make your way through that wood. He's going to have his choice of pathways to go through it. Now, you're not going to know exactly which one he's going to take, but you can be damn fucking certain he's going to take one of them. And that's very analogous, I think, to the neural pathways that are inside your head. And it somewhat bolsters what have been repeating endlessly which is this idea that you'll get better at what you do more of and that's it could be running it could be cycling it could be drinking you know two or three liters of water every day or it could be sitting on the couch or it could be just wasting your fucking life away however you see fit or ruminating that's the other thing ruminating is the person isn't just going through the forest they're going through the forest then they're circling back around, they're going through it again, they're circling back around, and they're just endlessly walking the same path. And you can imagine how you can, as, this, as the expression fucking goes, you get stuck in a rut. It's one of the most apt expressions, I think, especially in relation to these neural pathways that I'm trying to encapsulate in, in metaphor, I suppose. And on that note, I'll catch you soon. Poof.